Corinthians 10, 23 and 20, chapter 10, verse 23 and 24. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things are built up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Thanks, Jerry. Good morning. How we doing? We have a few survivors from Daylight Savings out there. A few survivors from uh, having our wives away at a prayer retreat this weekend. Good to see you all, all of you who could be here with us. Welcome to church, friends. And uh, we continue to try to seek the Lord here in the Eugene Springfield area. And uh, may the Lord continue to refine our hearts and make us into His special people and a church that honors Him as we are progressively transformed more and more to reflect the image of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Last week in 1 Corinthians, Paul was teaching a history lesson from the Exodus that we looked at. The wilderness wandering, comparing the gifts and sins of ancient Israel to the gifts and sins that were present in the Corinthian church. The community of Israel was established by God and given gifts by God, and yet they still sinned and were judged by God. Paul is saying, look, we have similar stuff going on in our church. Learn from your history. Obedience matters. Repent while you still can. So uh, here's the Cliff Notes version of the sermon last week, just to remind us or to catch us up. Learn from history. If you think you stand firm, be careful that you do not fall. Pay attention. Number two, learn to fight your temptations. Christian character and maturity are forged. They're tested. When temptations come, we have to learn how to stare our demons down and face those hard things. And when we learn to fight temptation, when we learn to fight Uh, vice and embrace virtue. We get stronger in that process. And number three, some things just don't mix. God expects obedience. We always try to have our cake and eat it too, and we're always trying to mix things that should not be mixed. Um, And so Paul is saying in that context, you cannot share in the cup of demons and the cup of the Lord. And uh, those things just do not go together. So that's the what, what's one secret of the Christian life is uh, the more we try to compromise and have our way together with God's way, it inevitably gets complicated. It's an energy suck. We never really can do it well. So let's jump into our text for today. I have the right to do anything. How many of you like that right? That's my right. I can do anything. You say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek seek their own good, but the good of others. Have we heard this phrase before? I have the right to do anything. This is almost a word-for-word quote from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. We're there at the context they're talking about sexual immorality 
And now the context is different a little bit. It's applying to Christian freedom and rights. So we've looked at a whole lot of quotes that Paul has made in 1 Corinthians. He's quoting a letter that they sent to him asking for clarification. And so we can kind of piece this letter together a little bit just based on uh, the content of 1 Corinthians. I hope this shows up okay. It's not too small. Quotes from the Christians in Corinth. And the context is sexual immorality in chapter 6. I have the right to do anything. I have the right to do anything. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. And then the context of he's discussing marriage. It's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. He's quoting the Corinthians there. Then the context of food sacrificed to idols. We all possess knowledge. An idol is nothing at all in the world, and there is no God but one. And then in the context of a believer's freedom, what we're looking at in chapter 10 today, I have the right to do anything. I have the right to do anything. I'm free in Christ. Don't judge me. Don't stick that on me. I can do whatever I want. Interesting. Paul has an answer to all of these slogans of the Corinthian church. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. I have a right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with his wife. Do not deprive each other. We all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. An idol is nothing at all in this world, and there is no God but one. Not everyone possesses this knowledge. Be careful that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. See, it's not that everything the Corinthian church was saying was just categorically wrong. But the spirit in which they held it betrays a kind of pride, a self-centeredness, a blindness to how their actions could be affecting others, and a focus on the freedom, my freedom and my rights, without considering what is glorifying God. What's making God look good? Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go eat whatever is put in front of you or put before you without raising questions of conscience. Isn't this 
stuff about meat sacrifice to idols is like really exciting to you guys? This is like so relevant for us. I, I just, Cowan, keep preaching about meat sacrifice to idols, please. It's riveting. Paul has described three different situations where Christians would need to discern whether or not to do certain things or to abstain from certain things. So here's the three situations of Christians eating meat from pagan sacrifices. So to the issue of eating meat in the pagan temple where they would actually go to these dining halls in the pagan temples, Paul says no. No, not because the meat is wrong, but because of the explicit connotations of that setting that they're in. And the way that that is a stumbling block for younger Christians who are fresh out of paganism, Paul says, no, just don't do it. The second situation is buying meat at market. Almost all of that meat that was for sale in the market would have been sacrificed to a pagan god. Buying meat in the market to cook in the privacy of your own home, Paul says, yes, don't worry about it. Because, and he's quoting the Psalms here, the earth is the Lord's. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And then the third situation is eating meat as a guest in the home of an unbeliever. And Paul says, yes and no. It depends. Yes, you can eat meat innocently served, building a friendship in the home of an unbeliever. But, he says, if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. So interestingly, we don't know explicitly who the someone is. Uh, and that could be taken a couple different ways. Uh, the someone could be the non-Christian host who is testing their guest, their Christian guest, in some way. Maybe something in the spirit of, ha, I knew your Christians were just like the rest of us. Maybe that's some kind of testing. It could equally be a fellow Christian elitist, and you guys have been invited to this meal in the home of an unbeliever. So now it's a situation with two Christians who maybe see something differently and it's played out in the audience of a non-believing person. So it could also be uh, a, another Christian uh, from the church of Corinth who sees you eating meat served to you from a pagan sacrifice in the home of an unbeliever and says, see, you, I knew you were on my side. We're free to do whatever we want. That could also be the someone in this situation. Then Paul starts talking to them about this issue of conscience. I'm referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So basically... Uh, a Corinthian believer is free to eat sacrificed meat in the home of a non-believer unless there's someone there playing games and making a deal out of it. 
making issues out of this, trying to turn this into some kind of thing. <coughs> All right. You may be thinking, this is nice, Calvin, but what in the world do meat issues in ancient Corinth have to do with me today? I am so glad you asked. I just heard you all ask that question. Because I think these verses and this whole situation, it teaches us some uh, critical lessons for issues of Christian discernment. Discernment, how, how we go about making decisions in this life. The things we dismiss, the things that we support, the things that we take hold of, and the things that we let go of. You need to have discernment to do these things well. And I think this next verse is a real linchpin for understanding this whole argument and situation. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That is the trump of all these situations. Is this glorifying God or not? Do it all for the glory of God. An earlier question of Christian discernment would be, how are my actions affecting my brothers or sisters in Christ? And uh, another earlier question in discernment should be, how does, this God make, how does this make God look to unbelievers? But a lot of times, our discernment and what we take a hold of and what we let go of in life it kind of starts with the question, do I like this? Do I want this? Does this make me feel good? And we stop at that level without consideration of others and without consideration of God. But everything should begin from that question, is this bringing glory to God? Does it glorify God? And then from there, you work backwards into all of these situations that we might find in life. So let's use these uh, three occasions of meat sacrificed to idols, pagan idols, uh, as kind of discernment tools that we can use. So situation number one, eating meat in the, inside the pagan temples, where Paul says no. There are things in the Christian life that should just be dismissed out of hand. If you are going to call Jesus Christ Lord, that needs to mean something. You don't need to debate these things. You've chosen Christ. You don't try to mix certain things with Jesus Christ. I would say it shouldn't even be hard for us to think about these things unless you are enmeshed in certain sins and certain vices then you will try to figure out how do I have my cake and eat it too but I would say things that we would dismiss out of hand wouldn't include industries that create oppression industries that feed vice and addiction industries that destroy lives break up families harm people 
um, the porn industry, the gambling industry. You can't be selling fentanyl and reasonably think, I'm doing this for the glory of God. I would argue that things in this category also might include things of religious pluralism, where you mix the lordship of Jesus Christ with other things. So, yeah, Jesus is Lord, and I'll take a little Buddha, I'll take a little, I like this, uh, uh, this pagan thing or whatever, and I can, do, I can do all of that, where it's not Jesus only, it's Jesus and. And that's a hard one for us because uh, we're narcissistic and we love to make our decisions and we worship ourselves as a God. Our Lord does not want to share us. If you haven't figured it out by now, I'll just be clear about it. The Holy Spirit is not interested in compromise. He's interested in takeover. He's interested in unconditional surrender. Because He loves you that much. Some things we just need to dismiss out of hand. Situation two. Buying meat at the market to cook and eat at home where Paul says yes. Yes, the earth is the Lord's. And in the privacy of your own home, clearly there's a lot of freedom and responsibility uh, we have in our homes. Our homes are a safe place. We let the guard down. Our audience is reduced. Uh, but it's still an important audience. The things we model for our children, that still matters a whole lot. But in the freedom of the o our own home, we don't have to raise the same issues of conscience maybe with everything uh, because it's not played out in an audience in the church. It's not played out in front of an audience of unbelievers. Um, I can imagine, for example, a situation where someone throws a steak on the grill and enjoy, enjoys that steak with a glass of red wine and they do it all in a spirit of gratitude thinking the earth is the Lord's. Glory be to God. You ever tasted something so delicious, you're just like, thank you, Lord. But I can also imagine a situation in the privacy of our own homes that we would not want to mess with something as potentially dangerous as alcohol, that we forego eating and drinking certain things for health reasons. Uh, and we do also do that for the glory of God. To the first group, the steak and wine people, I would say, be wise about when your good thing ceases to be a good thing and it turns into a problem. And if you're coming from a place where that has been a problem, see, some people can, cannot in their history do certain things because of what will follow in the line of events. Christian freedom is not an excuse for you to be debauched to be a glutton or to cultivate lust or anything like that. I'm free to do whatever I want. You need to be careful 
because there are bigger issues at stake. Is this glorifying God? So be wise and discerning about those things, I would say. To the second group who says, no, we've got a clear line in the sand and we, we have wisdom and we're going to do this this way. I would say there are a lot of teetotalers out there who are slaves of gluttony. They're enmeshed in lust or envy. Their lives betray pride. Well, we all know who the true Christians are. Christian households are going to do things differently sometimes, and there's a lot of freedom for us to figure that out. And there needs to be a lot of grace. I love this verse from Matthew. Uh, I think it's great. John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Who is right, John the Baptist or Jesus? Because they did things very differently. They're both right. Because they put these differences in the way they approach things under the context of wisdom will be proved right. What, is, what that means is what is the fruit of this? There's not one way of doing these things. But be wise about it. What is the fruit of the decisions you're making? What's really going on in the heart? Situation number three, back to our uh, pagan meat discussion. This one is played out in the audience of an unbeliever. Paul says, sometimes yes, sometimes no. It just depends on what's going on. Is someone turning this into a thing or not? I would say, again, in this situation, we have a lot of freedom. But it's not as private as your own home. This is an audience that may include other Christians. It may include non-Christians. And these are situations where your actions could go either way depending on what is going to bring the most glory to God. So... I don't know enough about this to speak definitively, but I'll just share things that I've heard. About the way that real Christians would do this or not do this. If you were a real Christian, you would dress like this. If you were a real Christian, you would not shop at Target because of the ways that they're setting up their bathrooms. If you were a real Christian, you would cancel your Disney Plus subscription and you would cry because you don't get to watch The Mandalorian anymore because of statements that executives of that uh, company have made. You should not eat at Red Lobster because of who they've donated money to you need to eat a whole lot of Chick-fil-A and shop a lot at Hobby Lobby 
because of who their executives are and what they're trying to do. Don't listen to Christian music by this group of artists because we know that they've gone off the deep end. You need to be angry about this social justice issue. I don't see how anyone can call themselves a Christian and vote Republican. I don't see how anyone can call themselves a Christian and vote Democrat. Here's my advice. It's not a bad thing to take stands and to figure out a way forward, to create boundaries. It's not bad to be discerning about what we want to support and what we want to advocate. It's not bad to vote with conviction on issues that matter to you a lot. My advice is this, don't turn secondary or peripheral things or even trivial things into the primary thing. You are not commanded to seek third the kingdom of God and His righteousness. You are not commanded to seek second the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And you may think, well, Calvin, we're trying to figure all of these things out because we seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. But I'm going to say righteousness based on drawing all the lines in the exact right spot, it's futile. Do your best and you're never going to get it right. Because that kind of righteousness, they practice that a lot. I guarantee these people were smart and they were way more disciplined than most of us. And you know what Jesus says about that group? Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you'll certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Pharisaic righteousness is alive and well in churches today. Pharisee righteousness tithes mint, cumin, and dill, but still misses the most important things. Pharisaic righteousness strains the gnat and swallows the camel. Pharisaic righteousness, it washes the outside of the tomb, and the inside remains filthy. That means I look right, I dress right, I say the right things. I'm on display for the church to see. And yet it does not match the reality of what's going on in my heart. Can we not be a place, should the church not be a place where we can take the masks down? I think a lot of us, I would say almost all of us in this room, we are passionate about faith in Jesus. And we've reached conclusions that are hard fought, that are well thought out. 
And sometimes we have drawn certain lines. And yet our actions betray that our heart is not right. You say the right things. It looks all right from the outside, and yet in the stressful moment, in the unguarded moment, in the relaxed moment, what is it, what the things that are in your heart, they're going to show and they're going to come out. I say and do and I, I believe the right things and, and yet your agitation betrays you. Your anxiety betrays you. Just the countenance and look on your face, it betrays your heart. Your complaining spirit betrays you. Your inability to get along with other Christians, it betrays you. There are a lot of voices in our churches expressing, this is what real Christians do. We all know that. And a lot of times our faith, when it's expressed, is very reactive. People get angry. People get anxious, analyzing everything. Constantly trying to figure out everything. This is what I need to stand for. This is who I need to support. This is what I need to be concerned about. This is who I need to cancel. This is what I need to be angry about. That's outrageous. Christian discernment. Wisdom is proved right. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. When you look at the Corinthian slogans and you look at the way Paul answers them, here's what it shows. The alternative to a prideful or fitful or anxious Christian life is simply coming to Jesus and sitting at his feet. Mary has chosen better and will not be taken from her. It's not rocket science. Come to Jesus. Christian life, it feels so heavy. Why, is it, why am I still so anxious? Why do I feel like these people don't understand me? Why? Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Well, what about such and such? No, come to Jesus. Well, what about so-and-so? They said this about me, and I didn't even get to defend myself. I need to justify myself, or people won't understand. No. No, Calvin. Come to Jesus. Come to me, and we will figure it out, but first you have to come. 
Well, what about so-and-so? Like Peter in John chapter 21, you know this story. What about John? What about him, this disciple who you love? Don't worry about him. Don't worry about her or them. Just come to me. You follow me. You feed my sheep. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. Even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Are you seeking the good of many? Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I used to think this was so arrogant that Paul would say something like that. And then I realized, no, these are words of humility and trust and faith. Are you living your life in such a way where you can say, follow my example as I follow Christ? Could you reasonably say that to someone else? And if you can't, why not? Because that's a real problem if you can't say that. And whatever that is, that's being, it's a spotlight that those words are shining onto something in your life right now. That's where you need to trust, and that's where you need to just come to Jesus and lay it at his feet. Sometimes, sometimes the heaviest burdens we carry are the religious ones. Sometimes the burdens that we are most reluctant to let go of and put at the feet of Jesus are the religious ones. See, the Christian life, it is hard, but it's not complicated. Dad, you can come up. The Christian life is hard, but let me just say, it's easier than anything else you can try. See, the hardness of the Christian life it's only that hardness is there only to the extent that you refuse to surrender to Jesus, that you refuse to come to Jesus, that you refuse to follow Jesus, that you refuse to trust that God is good. See, whatever we draw the lines, and we have to be wise about it, it begins from this place, does this glorify God? And then it works out from there. It's not getting everything right that you need the most. What you need the most is Jesus. And when I, when I get out of whack in my priorities, in my ministry, trying to be a minister, doing good things for this church, I notice when I am most messed up, when it's most heavy and difficult for me, is when I have not come and put it at the feet of my Savior. Have you noticed that in your life? How easy it is to forget to simply come to Jesus.
See, he tells us it's not rocket science that he says. He says, come to me. He says, follow me. He says, learn from me. He says, trust in God, trust also in me. And he says, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. It's so important that we learn wisdom in discerning the kind of life that glorifies and honors our Lord. The good news is, if you come to Jesus, it gets a whole lot easier, and He will help us figure out all the most mundane decisions that you and I need to make, and He'll help us do it in grace and a spirit where we don't have to have fear or anxiety or doubt. Just trust. If you need to put the Lord on in baptism or you would like the prayers of this church, if there's some way that we can help you as a congregation or I can help you as a minister or a friend, I'll be right up here and you can come talk to me while we stand and sing our invitation song together.